This week's Labyrinth Library podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash lablib. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hello and again, welcome to the Labyrinth Library Podcast. How are you this week? I'm I'm okay, uh, except this is the second time I've started recording the podcast. The last time I got all into it, I was having a great time, and then I glanced over at my computer screen and realized I hadn't turned the microphone on. So I'd gone through the whole introduction and it was all gone, so I have to recreate it now. Um, anyway, things are good here. Classes are finished, exams are finished, I can pretty much close the book on this year. Still got a couple more little bits of administrative trivia to take care of, but for all, all intents and purposes, it's done. And I can get started preparing for next year, which is going to be a whole different gig. It's really exciting and very interesting, slightly terrifying. You know, new things are scary. That's just how the way, that's just the way things are. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it, and I think it'll be good fun. Also, I am still keeping up with John Scalzi's current work. It is a serialized novel called The Human Division. I think I talked about it last time. And it's very good. If you're not keeping up with it, you really should. He's releasing a new episode for all, you know, as far as we can tell, uh, every week, every Tuesday in the U.S., U.S. time. And it costs about 99 cents. You buy it on Kindle, download it. It's great. It's really neat. It, the episodic nature is kind of fun because you finish the book really quickly because it's – or the installment really quickly because it's very short. And then you got to wait a week. It's almost like those old-fashioned – watching TV the old-fashioned way where you have to wait for the show to come on. But anyway, John Scalzi, the human, the human division, that's that. But that's not what we're talking about today. No, 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 no. Uh, as I told you last week, we are talking about the English language and what fun it is and where it came from and how it came to be, the great big tangled mess it is. And my clue, of course, as I said, my clue wasn't that great. Uh, I told you it was about English, but it's not the Bill Bryson book. And Marissa in the U.S. did give it a shot, didn't get it, but I'm not surprised. I blame myself for maybe not choosing a more popular book or perhaps not giving uh, a decent clue. It's all my fault. Don't you worry about me. I'll be fine here. Don't worry. I, it's, it's, I blame myself. But this week's book is The Secret Life of Words by Henry Hitchings. Now, there are many ways that you can write human history. Most writers of history books tend to go the traditional way, following the kings and queens, wars, revolutions, and invasions. The history of the world is almost always written in military or political terms, and while that's certainly a valid way to do it, it is a little overdone. A truly creative historian might try to look at the progress of humankind through a different lens, the history of art, perhaps, or literature, or the history of science. Hitchings has decided to look at history through the rise and spread of the English language, once just an agglomeration of angry noises from a few small tribes in what would eventually become Europe, now it is a tongue that dominates the world. The English language is used by billions, studied by millions more. It's the language of business, commerce, politics, law, entertainment, and news, and has spread like no other language before. So the big question then has to become, how did this happen? Uh, how did English become what it has become? What is the history that led it to span the globe, and what qualities does it have that other languages don't? In this book, Hitchings looks at the history of English, and by extension, the Western world, through the growth of its vocabulary. Where did our words come from, and 
what does their journey into English tell us about our own history? Now, a modern English speaker equipped with a time machine could probably go back about 400 or 500 years and still be confident that she would understand and be able to converse with people. Maybe not with perfect clarity, and that would be a very entertaining thing to watch, but it would be possible. Before that, uh, the conventions and Lexis that we're also familiar with will start to be more and more scarce. And by the time of Chaucer, our time traveler would have a hard time indeed. So as far as languages go, modern English is a fairly young tongue. Over the last half millennium or so, the sheer number of words available to English speakers has just exploded, mainly due to what some would call, in a rather indelicate way, the, the language's whorish qualities. English will take up with any other language that comes along, accepting its words and making them its own. By following the spread of English and the changes that it has made, we can see how people and cultures intermingled in the last thousand years or so. Hitchings begins at, more or less, the beginning insofar as you can judge such a thing, with the Anglo-Saxon roots of English and its almost immediate conflicts with Norman French and the languages of the invading and pillaging Norsemen. He follows the political swings of English as the rulers of the British Isles alternatingly embrace and then shun the language until it finally becomes the tongue that defines that tiny island on the edge of the North Atlantic. He looks into Arabic and Latin, Japanese and the languages of the Native Americans, we see the wellsprings of our language through food and music, science, military, and law. He introduces us to words that came into English through long and winding roads. One of my favorites is Alcatraz. We all know what Alcatraz is. But it comes from the Spanish word for pelican, which in turn comes from Arabic's al-kaduz, for machine for drawing water, which in turn comes from the Greek's kados, meaning jar, which is really quite a journey for such a miserable place. The history of the English language is a, a fractal history, meaning that in order to understand it, you have to understand the histories of a dozen other languages and then the languages that came before them. To try to put it all down on paper is a, a monumental task indeed. Now, the study of English words, though, it is fascinating. Uh, I became a fan of the Way With Words podcast, which I do recommend if you like English language and English words, which dedicates itself to unraveling questions about English usage. The hosts are funny and engaging and manage to give a brief history of words and phrases and all the little ticks of English that make you annoyed enough to have to call a radio show about it. It is a pleasure to listen to. And if you are going to listen to a podcast other than this one, I can't imagine why you would, but if you are, I do recommend Away With Words. Uh, but it's probably why I listened to that show a whole lot more than I read this book. You see... Mr. Hitchings has done a very admirable job with this book, trying to cover all the different avenues by which words came into English. The paths they followed are, are fascinating, like the Alcatraz example, and the stories behind them are the stories of Western culture and civilization. The trouble is that Hitchings doesn't do all that good a job in making it interesting to the lay reader, like, you know, myself, or perhaps you. By and large, each chapter deals with a different source of vocabulary or a different time in history, but the narrative that he sets up tends to wander about. You know, there's no real narrative to focus on. And while I know this isn't supposed to be one, Hitchings is trying to tell a story here. It's a long and complicated story, but it is a story, and as such, it needs to flow in order to keep the reader's attention. And I can't fault him for his research or his dedication, but... I think he could have given more thought to the organization of the book. Instead of trying to cover as many sources as possible, maybe he could have narrowed his focus. Instead of throwing out a dozen or so words at a time, he could have given us an in-depth narrative on just a few. 
Each chapter probably could have been expanded into its own book on the Arabic, Spanish, Latin, German, Greek, African origins of words. And so in reading it, you get the feeling that there's so much more that he's glossing over. By trying to follow all the twisted paths of the history of English, it's very easy for the reader to get lost. And all I kept thinking as I read this was that I had so much more fun reading Bill Bryson's book, as I mentioned before, Mother Tongue, which covers pretty much the same topic, but is much more enjoyable to read. And perhaps that was my mistake. By the time I got to the end of this book and I was more or less just, you know, scanning pages so that I could say I legitimately finished it, I realized this was not the kind of book that you just settle down with and read all the way through. It's a piecemeal book. Pick it up, read a chapter, put it down, leave it alone for a while. When you're in the mood for more language history, pick it up again and read another chapter. Give yourself time to mull it over and digest and finish, you know, when you finish. However you decide to get through it, though, you will certainly have a greater appreciation for the richness and diversity of the English language. So regardless how interesting it was narrative-wise, Hitchings has achieved his goal. English is, I think, an amazing language, and it behooves all of its speakers to learn a little bit more about the amazing confluence of cultures that produce the sounds that you speak every day. So let me give you a quote. He says, A new word is a solution to a problem. It answers a need, intellectual, experiential. Often the need is obvious, but sometimes it is unseen or barely felt. And then it is only in finding something to plug the gap that we actually realize the gap was there in the first place. So that is from Henry Hitchings, The Secret Life of Words. And that last one is true. One of the most fun things I like about language and, and looking at other languages is words that they have for things that English just doesn't have words for. And there's hundreds of them. You can find lists on the internet. It's, it's great. Anyway, if you like the English language and you like things that are written and especially spoken in the English language, go to audibletrial.com slash lablib. Sign up for your free trial membership with audible.com. And with that free trial membership, you get a free book download. Now, Mr. Hitching's book is not available on audible.com for reasons that baffle me. Neither is, and I hope the Audible people are listening to this and can rectify this, neither is Bill Bryson's book, Mother Tongue. All of his other books are there. Mother Tongue is not. I don't know why. However, do not let that dissuade you. Audibletrial.com slash lablib. You not only support the podcast, you not only get a free trial download, they have hundreds of thousands of books. So they don't have this one. Fine. There's so many others you can try. Try it. If you like the service, stick with it, and you'll be supporting podcast and getting some good stuff to listen to. So, audibletrial.com slash lablib. Next week, we are going to continue in nonfiction, uh, except we're leaving the realm of language and entering the realm of physics, which I don't think we've touched for a while. And this is a book about perhaps the most important equation written in the 20th century, the simplest equation written in the 20th century, and how it works. And it is co-authored by the guy who is probably the hottest physicist in Britain, if not the world. Now, when you think about really, really good-looking physicists, this is the guy, and he's a co-author of this book. So, simplest equation written in the 20th century, and the hottest physicist in England. What's the book? See if you can figure it out. But that's about it for me, I think. So, I hope that you have a good week. I hope that you find some time you can relax, sit down with a good book, or whatever you like to do. And uh, yeah, I will talk to you all again next week. A text version of this review will be up on the blog, thelablib.org, along with any relevant links I can think of. If you have anything you want to say or any suggestions you'd like to make, please leave a comment and let me know. 
If you have a book you would like to recommend, I would be happy to hear it. If you'd like to send me an email, send it to labyrinthlibrary at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, please give a review on iTunes, become a fan on Facebook, or follow LabLib on Twitter. This podcast is covered by a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, so feel free to share it, but please don't sell it or change it. The music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod at www.incompetech.com. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week. And until then, keep reading. Thank you.